There's a friend of mine who I've been pestering to write for John Cass News. He's a smart, wickedly funny, and he's just written a piece for John Cass News. There are no victims of the system by Dan Proft. Yes, that Dan Proft, the Dan Proft of the Chicago Morning Answer with Amy Jacobson, the Dan Proft of the Counterculture Podcast from for American Greatness, the Dan Proft as a future soccer fan, and the Dan Proft writing Sentimental Barbarism or The Dangers of the Sentimental Barbarian by Dan Proft. Can you see that? I can. I can see it. He's our guest today on the Chicago Way Podcast. Joining me as always is Jeff Carlin, WGN producer, friend of cats, baker of pies, future physics teacher, and me, John Cass, editor-in-chief of John Cass News. And where are you as progressives in the leafy and oh-so-precious suburb of Oak Park, famous for its hate-has-no-home-here signs, begins to kick out migrants? Just like Martha's Vineyard, Barack. Yeah, just like it. You're on the Chicago Way podcast with Jeff Carlin, John Cast, and Dan Proff. So this is a guy who lives high on the hog and he has this Tammany Hall style attitude to power. And um, it is, it's the Chicago Way, absolutely. Look, the, the, the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. A while back, I began pestering a friend of mine, pestering and pestering him to write a column for John Cass News, and he did. There are no victims of the system by Dan Proft, published on December 13th, 2023. It argues that there are no victims because all those who would cry victimhood are those who enabled the system over years and years and decades and decades, allowing the likes of the Cook County machine to squeeze the homes from uh, people until they have nothing. And uh, he has no sympathy because it has been beaten out of him. And now he's here on the Chicago Way podcast, Dan Proft. John, good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, allowing me the johncastnews.com platform. I'm I'm glad you stuck with me until uh, inspiration finally struck. You had plenty of inspiration many, many times, but yeah. this time you chose to do it. Why did you, what yeah. caused you to go there? Well, I'm trying to get more disciplined about my my writing and uh now that i have my own podcast that i'm doing with american greatness called counterculture shameless plug number one Ding. um but the other thing was i mean it's just like years of built-up frustration uh, as somebody who has been beating this drum yeah. about the confiscatory property taxation in illinois for literally two decades and spending 
million, I mean, literally millions of dollars in, um, in, in campaign funds when I was running a super PAC in Illinois on this issue and um, uh, devoting a lot of resources within this newspaper group I'm part of, this local newspaper group I'm part of to this issue, telling stories, trying to drive it home to people so they're not shocked when they go to sell their home and realize that it's worth a fraction of what they thought it was going to be worth because the property taxation and the negative multiplier that attaches has destroyed the home equity over the years. And, or, or, or you pay for, I mean, if, and this is also sort of unseen by some, you pay for your house. Most people over 30 year fixed pay for their house one and a half to two times. Well, you pay for your house another full time in Illinois. And then I saw this piece in ABC seven about the group that's being hit in Cook County with this year's triennial assessment, right? Cook County is broken up into uh, thirds and every third gets a a reassessment of their property every third year. So this time it was the South suburbs and listening to people in this ABC seven piece that were despondent over the reassessments of their properties where the reassessment had their property going up 200, 210%. And they knew what was going to happen next year when that translated into the property tax increase. The same thing that happened in uh, West Central Cook County this year in places like Schiller Park and Des Plaines, where residents saw 30 percent increases in their property taxes. And they're crying about this. And, and uh, you know, I don't mean to be heartless about it, but they're they're, you know, um, flummoxed as to what to do. I can't, we're not going to be able to stay in our home. We're going to have to move to Indiana. We can't afford to be here. And you know, after a lifetime of work, they, many were older people. But I'm just like, you know, it's like, uh, how many times do you have to be told the flood is coming before you prepare for the flood? And so that was really the impetus to write the piece to say, look, over the last 30 years, at least, really over the last 50 since the 1970 Illinois uh, yeah. Constitutional Convention, but, but certainly over the last 30 you you knew or you should have known. You were uh, a participant in the way that Madigan and Burke were, were as predators. You were trying to get in on the scams for your own benefit, uh, or you were sort of passively enabling the scams through your vote, or you weren't doing enough if you did recognize it to expose the scams and motivate people to think differently and vote differently. And so I just, there's no victims, myself included. I, I'm not a victim uh, of what happened. And that's what I say, you know, I, I, at least I could say I tried to explain what was coming, what was going to happen, what the math meant for uh, all, really all mm-hmm. residents of Chicagoland, of the Chicagoland area. But, um, but, but, but I just don't have any sympathy for them at this stage. Well, Dan, as an opening salvo for writing something, this is it, it's fantastic. I think any every person who lives in this state should read it because I know you think everyone's or say that everyone's you know willfully ignorant at best or just you know playing patsy that for their own benefit. I know great if it's seemingly better schools or whatever it is that when you look really look at it aren't really better or whatever the idea is where the, their money is being taken through property taxes and used to pay for salaries and all this, this nonsense that this the state doesn't need. Um, Weird. I mean, where, where do you think someone comes to this or like, how do you think we should get this to people? Because do you really think nobody, everybody's just playing along or really that just 
ignorant. I mean, I feel like people don't understand really. They just play the game, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess, I mean, I guess there's some people that just have like a complete inability to reason or to process information, but I don't think that's most <laughs> people. I think there's um, a, um, you know, commitment to believing the beautiful lies as a coping mechanism for a lot of people. They don't want to mm-hmm. know. They don't want to think about it. They just want to take their punishment and, uh, and try to convince themselves that this is the best of all possible worlds or, or this is their lot until they can find a way out. Maybe they've given up and they just think, Hey, look, uh, as bad as it is, it could get worse. So we better just stick with the same clan. Yeah. One, the, the only, uh, sort of out I will give them is that they really haven't had great choices. Um, they still could have made the better choice or the worst <clears throat> choice. But they haven't had great choices because the Republican Party has not been an opposition party for most of the last 30 years, certainly the last 20. Yeah. So so that's a problem, too. But, you know, so, but but I mean, when you look at your property tax bill, even if you're paying it out of escrow. I mean, you see where the money goes and in the suburbs, it's, you know, 75 to 90 percent is is the schools and in the city, it's still half. So, you know, you look at that and you say, well. I, I can I see the aggregate number that continues to go up. I see that the percentage, the biggest percentage is K through 12 schools. And yet I have no questions about the K through 12 schools, how they're operating, the salaries and benefits they're conferring or what they're producing. And I just find that an indefensible posture. I mean, you lay it out. It's it's brilliant. I uh, We need more of it. So, Dan, keep writing. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, I've got a list of I've got a, I'm coming up with a list of things, but. I've noticed that as you begun your new career or half career as the the host of um, your new podcast, Counterculture, which I recommend it highly to anyone, anyone who cares. You know, I I put it on the same level, excuse me, and I know he hits the praise to the face is an open disgrace for Dan Proft, and I understand, but... (laughs) I I compare it to Victor Davis Hanson. I mean, I do, and that level of seriousness and uh, scholarship, and I and I noticed that as you began doing your own commentary and honing it down, then you were ready to write for John Cass Nukes. Well, you know, I mean, John, you know this better than anybody. I mean, just all the years that you've been writing and the schedule that you've been on, and um, and what it takes to put together something that's you know thoughtful and concise and and um hopefully provoking in, in a in a positive way um it's a discipline and it's a muscle and you've got to work at it like anything else i don't know for maybe for you and the greats like Oreco, it, it came easy but for me you know if i if there's not that discipline there's not really working at it there's not putting you know sort of um putting all my thoughts into a column that needs to be 800 words or something in that area. And I, I write 1500 and then I walk away for an hour or two and come back and really think yeah. what is, um, what is essential and what is not. And could this turn of a phrase be sharper and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's work. Um, it's, uh, it doesn't just, uh, necessarily flow for me, even though I can do it somewhat fast, but, but um, I think for a lot of really good writers, it's it's, and I'm not putting myself in that category, but I'm just saying I think it's work, and I think people don't appreciate how much thought <laughs> and and uh, measuring twice and cutting once uh, goes into. Well, I did just so you know a little behind the scenes with Dan and I. 
that uh or Dan and me that um he called he sent me a text or something in the middle of this process saying it's halfway done or it's mostly done. I have to step away and walk away from it and I'll get back to it. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what I do. You know, you step away, you walk away because you want, you want that first rush of success, that flush that you feel to dissipate and you want it cold. You don't want it. You don't want to be emotional when you're honing, you know, you're taking, like wood and you're carving a, a statue and you want it to be not emotional then when you're cutting. And, uh, and he did a, a great job, Dan. It was just, just, just superb because you explained, I mean, outside of the technical ability, you explained something that people need to know. Yeah. And, and I find that our, you know, we've kind of been ideologically aligned for many years, but, I think of all the failures that I had trying to explain to people what, you know, they were doing. I remember flirting with the idea that Jim Edgar may have been, may have been clean and, and may have been legit putting him on a white horse. And now thinking back on that and how many people were ruined because of it. It's it's embarrassing. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, part of it, I mean, I, I obviously I, I look back on it, too. And I was you were on the column side and I was on the political hack side and running campaigns and messaging and that sort of thing. And and we had that we had Jeff Carlin in between us. Yeah, yes, <laughs> the, uh, the mediating institution that is. Jeff. Right. Um, but so I think about the same thing about uh, what could have been communicated more clearly or what, what is something that would have been more powerful than the choice that I made in terms of um, content to communicate. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, it, the, the, in, in my piece, I just wanted to remind people sort of where this started in Cook County. Exactly. It started right. because it's the perfect backdrop with with Burke and Madigan now facing yeah. Burke's trial coming to an end. By well, it was when it it has now ended when the when the piece was published. It was coming to an end, closing arguments, and then Madigan scheduled to go. And these were the two guys. These were the these were the personifications of the system that was set up a, after the Constitutional Convention in 1970. And just to make it you know crystal clear. Madigan, you know, does the work of the Chicago Democrats, Richard Jay, uh, at, in this, at the 70 convention. And two years later, he opens up Madigan, gets in Danner, his, his property tax appeals firm. I mean, you don't think he knew what he set up? How and, you doing? You know, and then, and then a decade later, when Burke rises to be the chairman of the city's finance committee, then all of a sudden, Clafter and Burke, where he's a partner, his law firm, they open up this, uh, robust property tax appeals uh, aspect of their firm business within the business and between the two of them they're representing the biggest property taxpayers commercial property taxpayers in cook county over the ensuing 40 years and then the high net worth individuals and anywhere where you take a third of a, a big savings and that's real money and so the millions and millions tens of millions hundreds of millions i don't know that they've amassed and it just went on and on and on and it's an indictment of the electorate. It's an indictment of the Chicago p- political press corps. 
It's an indictment of oh, all clearly, clearly all the phony goo goo groups like the BGAs and the civic feds and the city clubs of the world for all these years. It's an indictment of the whole system, the system, as I put in cap right. And, right. and everybody within it. And that's pretty much everybody. I don't nobody gets to escape culpability here. There was an understanding from the uh, old machine, the old Democratic machine of Richard J. Daly that. Yeah, they could, I guess they could squeeze your mortgages and squeeze money. But there was, you had to produce some, they had to produce some benefits, okay? One of those benefits was some sense of order, that you could actually go from your house to your garage to your home and not be clubbed over the head and robbed. Okay, for example, or raped as you walk as you went on the CTA on the way to work. But all that's changed now. I just I look at uh, this morning as we speak on December seventeenth. I'm looking at the uh, news in CWB Chicago, which I find to be indispensable. And maybe Dan will explain to us why uh, the. The newspapers don't carry this, but one of the reasons why the newspapers don't carry this kind of story is that they won't run because it's racist to run mugshots. Anyway, they have a story saying man carjacked couple at gunpoint while on electronic monitoring for two robberies. Two robberies. So even though they're taking our houses, taking our, they're taking their money, they're taking, they're slapping them in the face, saying, "Take it, shut up, and take it, shut up, and take it." Then they're unleashing thuggery and uh, barbarians upon the people at the same time, aren't they? And they're also killing off what remains of competitive pu- public schools. Right. Well, I mean, this is the transition from the machine to the Marxists that started. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, towards the end of Rom's tenure and now is in full blossom. And it's in full blossom at the state level, too. Obviously, the Safety Act is the Pritzker Purge Law. That's a statewide law. That was the General Assembly. Uh, and that essentially, um, you know, socialized the criminal justice system model of Cook County statewide now. So it's not limited to Chicago, as we're starting to see more stories like you just told uh, right. coming to us from the suburbs. And, and that's going to continue. So, yeah, I mean, um, that's right in terms of you were supposed to provide some benefit, going back to what you said about Richard J. So the the benefit with this system they set up at the 1972 Constitutional Convention was we were going to have, uh, and Madigan figured this out, we're going to have a patronage army that's indebted to us for life because it's not just about the job. Uh, It's not just being a city worker for 25 years. It's also about the guaranteed net present value seven-figure pension that you get when you retire at 52 or 55. And so that's that's the the genius of what they did, and they just use everybody's home as collateral to finance right. this otherwise unfinanceable system, particularly as time went on and they you know, engaged in all sorts of additional uh, pension manipulations with sweeteners for this public sector union, that public sector union. And right. And the other trade off was, well, we'll look, you know, in the old man daily was we'll, you know, shoot to Maine, we'll crack skulls, we'll we're going to keep order. Well, then that goes by the wayside, too, when you have um, 
the uh, when we enter the identitarian era, uh, where Marxists use race rather than class as the means to divide and and conquer, and um, and the uh, the price that they have to pay to their constituents is because uh, it is disproportionately black uh, men, young black men, who are uh, in prison for crimes they did commit. Well, that's our constituency. So one of the things we're going to say, consistent with our overall message, is everything is systemically racist, and that includes the criminal justice system. And so we don't distinguish between the law-abiding and the law-breaking. We don't distinguish between predator and victim anymore, criminal and crime victim. And so for the most part, we are going to um, soften the touch of the criminal justice system when it comes to our uh, constituency that is predicated on intersectionality. And so this is sort of the next level down in the decivilization of major urban centers and deep blue states. And that's what you see happening in Chicago and Illinois. It's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you draw the point there, like the old guard was the, the daily machine that was, like you said, had this patronage army. And But in Chicago, you've seen that patronage army has been taken over by the new guard, the, the Mar- quote, Marxists. And you know now they've got their their fingers all on that and are sucking up all the value out of that. And but they can't get in on the real estate market thing because that's still old guard. So they're pivoting now to like this NGO weird like you know f- uh, uh, charitable org. We're going to save the world because it's all racists and you know fascists out there. Yeah, look at what BLM Brandon just rolled out last week with uh, his great new public safety strategy. All <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. So what, but what is it? It's, it's just, they just <laughs> give you topic areas. We need to invest where places have been, have been suffered disinvestment. So we're going to invest in, in these topic areas. Uh, we're going to invest in healthcare. We're going to yeah. invest in education. We're going to invest in economic uh, development. And, uh, oh, by the way, we're also going to have our patronage armies. We call them violence interrupters. Right. Uh, we're, they're going to be uh, on the streets and on the L platforms, uh, they're reaching out to gangbangers and trying to uh, target neighborhoods that have been particularly afflicted by violent crime. So we're going to pay the violence interrupters, just like the Irish used to pay the storefront preachers to buy the black vote, or at least enough of it. And so that's the same thing that they're doing. And mm. in, in conjunction with that, they're going to expand the transfer payments that already exist, the transfer pro- transfer payment right. program that already exists. They're just going to continue to fund the poverty bureaucracy, just as we've done with the great society for the last 60 years at the federal level. That's the play. It's always mm. just to make government bigger. Until it runs dry like Detroit. But how long, how long will it work, Dan? That's the question. I mean, uh, the, I don't see there's a lot of, yeah. there's not a lot of run a room in the runway. I mean, it's hard to know when pensions, pension funds like cops and fire in the city that are less than 25% funded Finally, capsize um, hmm. because you you I mean that they're in death spiral, but they are still be able to pay current beneficiaries. It's hard to know what kind of uh, further wealth extraction will be done and how uh, institutional wealth will respond to that in the city and how fast the exodus will uh, will continue to to uh, to impact the city of Chicago. You, you I mean, have friends that are involved in real estate, and so do I. And commercial real estate, I was just told over dinner uh, at Palermo's Pizza the other night, is dead. Dead, dead in Chicago. That's right. Well, why do you think those big developers in the West Loop are 
taken the action to set up migrant shelters in their commercial buildings (laughs) because they can't rent them out. And the city is paying two and three X market rents for their use as migrant shelters. What does that tell you? Yeah, but it's not, doesn't seem like a long-term investment strategy to make. No, 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 but but who thinks long-term? I mean, they're thinking, you know, the the next, I mean, it's always thinking next uh, election cycle and you're always in cycle. So, I mean, it's, and, and, and by the way, just an important point on this, too. Like the, the idea that it was one thing under daily and daily and uh, and then let's you know, let's say this this century and Rom and Lightfoot. And, and now it's something different under Brandon Johnson or it was something different pre Lightfoot and something different under Lightfoot and Brandon Johnson. It really isn't. They, they looked at what the Irish did for low those many years and they said, well, now we're going to do the same thing, but we just have a different, uh, the, the composition of our constituency is going to be different. And so the, the quote unquote policy mix is going to be a little bit different, but it's the same sort of feudalism, neo feudalism, uh, that was practiced by the Irish. So, I mean, I, I think, well, the, yeah, my point wasn't that it's different. I mean, I th- it's, I think, I think people have to understand this is on a continuum. Right. That the seed of what we're uh, that what what uh, it has grown um, in 2023 were planted in you know 1973. Well, right, the fountain was open then, you know, and and it's just who's who's got the biggest bucket collecting you know the intake on it. It's and it's like you said, this new Marxist wave has has moved into that position to hold that bucket. And I don't think people realize when you say, which you draw in the piece, which is really great, the idea that you know the, the future of this state is leveraged on the value of everyone's home. And that when they, they people say, well, you know, the state owes X, Y, and Z in funds, and oh, every individual property owner technically owes this as well, that's, that's technically is reality. You know, people don't realize that the state's value is finite and it's us. And you drew a great point of that. I don't think that's what people can you know really t- see that they have everything in on this you know everything their value of their home many people like my parents and their their siblings you know all they have is that and the state technically has leveraged it already and it's trying to cut its piece back of it is it's a, it's shocking when it's laid out bare like that well yeah. right and and the state the the unfunded obligations the state has can never but but what will happen is at some point there will be a financial reckoning and everybody's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. It'll be to varying levels, but everybody's going to get hurt. You're going to see what you're saying, frankly, in New York right now, because of the spend they've uh, made on, on migrants, you're going to have um, all these uh, hallowed agencies or programs. They're going to face cuts mm-hmm. and people are going to face uh, tax increases like they haven't seen to date. I mean, it's things that we haven't seen in Chicago that other big cities have implemented long ago, like a city income tax. I mean, those things are not off the table. So um, the, the the doom loop that Chicago is in is going inc- to continue increasing in speed. One thing that's different from 72, when Madigan took over and became uh, in, uh, on his rise to the mountain of power and riches, is that the newspaper papers were different there was something some semblance of a conservative newspaper in terms of its out view but the newspapers did try to hold the politician political class to account somewhat but i think i think they they 
capitulated many, many years ago, which left us with no newspapers except the ones you're associated with. Can you tell us more about them? Well, you know, it's a really interesting parallel because it's sort of the same thing that happened to the city and the state. I mean, you you, you know, all the institutions sort of track the same um, the, the same uh, path in terms of their demise, right? I mean, it's, look, I mean, people forget. Uh, look, Republicans had control of the state Senate for the entirety of the 90s with Pate Phillip. There were some real conservatives uh, in uh, the caucuses back in, you know, you know as early as the or as, late, as, as recently as the 90s and into the first part of this century. And now that's all gone away. But it, it's just like the same thing where you went from old man daily all the way to present. It's a slow chipping away. It's a slow chipping away by kleptocrats, whether they wear the machine uniform or the Marxist uniform or the rhino uniform. It's the slow chipping away. And and you've seen that happen in the, the opposition party. You've seen that happen in the press corps. And so the papers that I'm affiliated with just do, um, yeah, and, and I mean I'm I'm sort of passively involved. But I'm not I'm not a writer, and I, I don't do that much day to day. It's more more um, sort of blue sky stuff. But um, but I mean they're just intended to to fill the void that's been left by the demise of the major dailies and their suburban weeklies, and as provide community news. I mean pictures. And proper nouns talk about <laughs> communities and what's going on in Hinsdale. If you live in Hinsdale and Westmont, if you live in Westmont and uh, and Chicago Heights, if you live in Chicago Heights, rather than, you know, what the Tribune had been doing, which is doing, you know, Sunday spreads, a three part series on what's happening in South, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, but they don't know what's right. going on. South suburbs. They're not, right, not doing right. they're not talking about property taxes and they're not talking about public safety and so forth. So that's that's what you avoid. To do and then also do what you sort of you do um and, and always have done, which is provide a check on the local political leaders. I mean newsify data, provide information, provide context and consequence to what's happening in your community and vis vis your region in a way that uh, the big dailies and the network affiliate newscasts stopped doing a long, long time ago. You know, b- besides uh, Dan and I and our abiding, we have many things in common, like our abiding love for the beautiful game of soccer, for example. But um, <laughs> on top of that. And cycling. And cycling. We also have held in common by uh, the animosity m- most journalists have for us. I mean, they really hate me, and they hate Dan, and uh, they they go out of their way to uh, to dig to stab you in the ribs whenever they can. I yeah. I'm amazed by this hatred. It's gratuitous. I mean, just as it is with you, because because they're opponents of independent thought. They're um, you, I mean, you, you know, if you're not a member of the guild, then you're not um, an enlightened, <laughs> a civic minded. Uh, thinker the guild uh, who is protesting in front of the old tribune tower yeah for some reason this week. letters to the readers please say <laughs> right. that um yeah i mean so I, that, that, I mean these are these are intolerant hateful people just like their suburban and urban readership small as it is but i mean think of the awfuls uh at the starbucks in um in wilmette uh, and that's basically the profile of whatever constitutes these uh, 
propagandists at these pamphlets they call daily newspapers in Chicago. They're 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 political activists. They're not journalists. Well, one thing we've noticed, I have yet to see them condemn Brandon Johnson for destroying um, competitive schools, and these are schools that were built to serve minority students, black and brown students, and they've been wiped from the from the earth, from the face of the well, map. I mean, right. So this is so predictable. I mean, they killed the tax credit scholarship program right. uh, uh, with 30,000 kids and, and another 30 on the waiting and the waiting lists, as it were, looking for more resources. And of course, 11 selective enrollment high schools out of 168 high schools in Chicago. Well, that's 11 too many for the teachers union. So you knew they were going to come for them, which they did. And so now what you'll see uh, which is a hard thing to pull off, but it's going to happen. The schools will actually get worse yet. The neighborhood schools will worsen through the lack of competition. And a lot of a lot more Chicagoans with means will leave the city because they're not, if you can leave the city so that you don't have to send your kid to the local neighborhood school for the most part, then you're going to. So it's just, it, it, it's what, what I think Carlin said earlier. I mean, it's the it's the race to emulate Detroit. And um, they're pressing the pedal down. Wait till I write my takedown of soccer. <laughs> yes. I think uh, that would be too easy for you, but I, I don't mind you. If a writer wants to curl up into a little fetal ball of rage, that's okay with me. <laughs> I do want, though, if you please take down the Chicago fire, because as a, I'm, I'm like a Democrat complaining <laughs> about my property taxes with the Chicago fire. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. But I would really like uh, Dan Prof to write uh, the end all be all column on, and here's the title: the sentimental barbarian. Well, yeah, yeah, that is a good topic area. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think people people. Like sentimentality is associated with like a lifetime movie or something like this. And and it has, I think, a positive connotation in most people's mind. But in a um, in a political uh, or um, philosophical context, philosophical, probably a better description. Well, how does it how does it bring us closer to the gas chamber, for example? Well, right. I mean, that's the Flannery O'Connor reference. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's it's. feeling your way through life rather than thinking. It's, and that's what we're doing now. Yeah. 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 In the yeah. United States, we're doing that. As even, you know, we're even doing that when we reach for the tomahawks to club our enemies to death. We're, we're doing it with feeling rather than reason. Well, that's what identitarianism is. And, right. um, and I mean, I, I go back to this uh, interview that Thomas Sowell did with Peter Robinson on the occasion of his, his uh, new book, just a, month a month and a half ago and peter robinson over at the hoover institution asked him a very simple question he said if the identitarians get everything they wanted in terms of their policy agenda what would be happening right now in america and thomas Sowell said we would be killing each other and that is happening in america but he means of course on an even grander scale than we are and that's the reality of it because the, the sentimentality is uh, of the so-called sophisticates is unbounded from any principle there's no limiting principle to it when you live your life through feeling 
um, and also have complete hubris that if I'm feeling it, it must be the right feeling because I'm a good person. And so let's go with my feeling. And you're right. I mean, that requires putting a little bit more meat to those bones in terms of uh, examples, I think, to animate but it. But that's the gist. They're of there, though. I mean, think yeah. about it. Look, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement, like look at the violence that came out of that. Look at this recently, you know, the, the way they were able to turn every these you know idiots in these college campuses into this raging mob that's terrorizing Jewish business owners just because they're Jewish, you know, it, I mean, th- that stuff, it's just, that's just test case right there. Right. I mean, they just have to start coming for any landowner or a property owner or anybody who refuses to pay whatever it is. And I think you, you know, we've seen this, what's possible and to see what could be possible is, is terrifying. Well, you see, you see how, I mean, that's a good example. You see how mindless it is. Right. I mean, it's all, Forced through the oppressor versus oppressed construct and and generations on campus that that matriculated at these quote unquote elite institutions and then became part of the professorate or administrative staff there over the last thirty years mm-hmm. since the spawn of the EDS movement. So they've been taught this. They have no idea. They don't even you you see interviews. They don't even know when when they're chanting from the river to the sea. They don't even know what river they're talking about. They have no knowledge of that region, its history. They have no knowledge of the Jewish people. They have, frankly, no knowledge even of the uh, atrocities of Hamas and the stated belief systems uh, that are part of the, that Hamas terrorist organization and, and other. They don't even know what Jews are. They just hate whites. Okay, it's a it's a white hatred thing. It's, well, but, yeah. but, but the whole, so so so. But where does that lead you? It leads you to saying out loud things like we heard outside of the Sydney Opera House, mm-hmm. "Gas the Jews." People literally chanting that. I don't yeah. care if it's ten or if it's ten thousand. Um, the the idea that anyone in in the in who um who is a part of western civilization would be chanting that phrase is should be shocking to people and it should speak to that what flannery o'connor meant when she said sentiment sentimentality ultimately paraphrasing sentimentality ultimately leads to the gas chamber that's exactly what she's talking about uh, that, I mean, the 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 barbarism that was unleashed in the wake of the uh, death of George Floyd right. and and how it's manipulated by institutions that are supposed to be mediating. They're supposed to provide the foundation of civilization. But instead, what they do is stoke the mob through sentimentality in whatever direction they want the mob to go in furtherance of their uh, pursuit of political power. Yeah. Look at Ferguson. I mean... Ferguson, another example. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the the underlying facts don't matter. Right. I mean, you had you had Claudine Gay, who you know c- couldn't bring her the president of Harvard can't bring herself to denounce <laughs> Harvard students calling for the genocide of the Jews, but she she could bring herself to denounce on right on cue. Uh, uh, over the last several years, she denounced the the death of Adam Toledo in Chicago, and the officer was not charged with any crime, nor should he have been. Um, because the kid had a gun, if people remember that case. But Claudine Gay doesn't care. Dante Wright in in uh, Minnesota. Well, Dante Wright was accidentally killed by a, a, a Minnesota police officer 
who thought she was reaching for her taser. She was reaching for her gun. She shot and killed him thinking he was a taser. And that was negligent homicide. And she was prosecuted yeah. and serving jail time. But there was no, there was nothing racial about that. He was resisting arrest and she made a terrible mistake in the moment and she paid for it. Yeah. But Claudine Gay doesn't care about that because it's about using emotion to stoke barbarism. I think of the um, severed head of some woman of French nobility being held up for her family to see during the revolution in France. And And I find all these things that you're talking about describing the reliance on emotion, the uh, incredible ignorance, the barbaric ignorance and under- and misunderstanding, and all of this wrapped up together to lead us to where we are today. It's almost like we're in a revolutionary period. I think it's a fair assessment. I don't know, and there's no way out of it. Right now. Well... I think we are in a revolutionary period, but it's more like the French Revolution than the American Revolution. Yeah, yeah. right. And and I mean, you know, the, again, the great historical examples of these nobles, you know, whatever our modern day nobles look like, they, I guess they look like um, J.B. Pritzker. <laughs> uh, you, know, you 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 finance you you finance these neo Jacobins, and you right. end up being surprised, and those around you get surprised when they come for you, like they did for. Uh, the Duke of Orleans during the French Revolution, Louis Philippe. I mean, I can imagine JB saying, no, no, like ho- trying to hold his f- fleshy little paws out <laughs> to stop the mob. No. This, yeah. this, this, is, this, this is going to boomerang around on them in a way right. that are going to be a lot less sort of mildly entertaining than Oak Park kicking out the migrants. I mean, that's a, that's an example. It's a relatively innocuous example of the boomeranging but but it's going to get worse from here if you don't put down this um this identitarian neo-jacobin revolution that's occurring and that's why being an editor is such a great thing i can (laughs) i can i can prompt and poke at a friend of mine to get them to think in terms that i would like them to think in and challenge them Selves and Dan Proft is nothing if not a man of who self who challenges himself all the time. Dan Proft, thanks for being here on the hey, Chicago thanks, Way podcast. John and Jeff, always a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. For Dan Proft, podcast host of the Counterculture Podcast and the Morning Answer Radio Show on with Amy Jacobson on Salem. And for Jeff Carlin, executive producer, WGN Radio, producer of Dan Proft, and producer of John Cass when we were radio hosts at WLS. Jeff Carlin made us. He made us. He held us in his hands and we were puddles of goo. Like, I can't stand this. I don't want to work here. I turned the lights on. Turn the lights on. And for me, John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of John Cass News, and where you can find merch, like the John Cass hat, no trombolone hat, and the John Cass Jeff Carlin coffee cup. And any any suggestions are more than welcome on more merch. More merch. More merch. (laughs) 
Welcome and have a great uh, Christmas holiday, everyone. Love you all and see you soon. Bye.